Welcome to Leaving a Legacy, a podcast focusing on the legacy format and the New England magic experience with your host, Adrian. I, and I think Tin Fence is just, um, it, it, maybe it's crack. And Jerry. I'm going to say two things to you right now, and they're going to contradict each other. Now we take you to the Red Room, where round one carries have been posted. Welcome to episode five of Leaving a Legacy. On the line with me is Jerry Me. Say hi, Jerry. Hey, how's it going, Adrian? And who did you bring with you? Oh, we got a very special guest for us tonight. Uh, I've brought uh, one of my uh, friends, Bob Hong. Uh, our listeners may uh, know him. Uh, he came in first place for the SCG New Jersey. Uh, you also came in 11th in the most recent uh, SCG. Uh, you also, uh, you know, do a little bit of freelance writing uh, for Channel Fireball. Is that right, Bob? Yeah, that is correct. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, definitely not. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for being with us tonight, Bob. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a pretty packed show coming up for you guys. You know, lots of stuff to go over. Um, you know, SCG Worcester, uh, was pretty big. Um, you know, really solidified Treasure Cruise, uh, as far, you know, in the legacy format, you know, just proving it wasn't a one trick pony. Uh, there was a little bit of, you know, controversy going on. I don't know if you guys heard about the standard and modern winner, uh, and the whole debacle that happened with that. Did the same um, guy, did the same guy win modern also? He Sorry. actually, he won the modern event and he got second in the standard, but, uh, either way. He's, either way, he's not getting that money. <laughs> uh, are we talking about the shuffling? Yeah, the shuffling, and we can, we can definitely touch on that later. Uh, but, you know, we are the Legacy Podcast, so we, let's, uh, dive into it. I mean, one of the things I love best about, uh, Worcester is that, how diverse the meta was. Just looking at the, the top 16, <laughs> like, there's like four decks on there that I want to try out that are either, you know, new decks or they're, you know, old decks with a whole new spin that, you know, make them play, like, radically different. Um, but Bob, you are famous, you know, for kind of, you know, putting Blue Red Delver on the map. You know, you're the first one to really break Treasure Cruise, but I noticed you didn't play, uh, Blue Red Delver at this SCG. Is, is there a reason why? Yeah, it's funny. I think I always overestimate, uh, how quickly I think the metagame is going to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was a great choice for the very first week, and I was unsure if it would be a good choice this week. Um, because I thought more people would be on Treasure Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that deck has a huge edge when, uh, other people aren't on Treasure Cruise, because then, in that situation, you're both, you're almost, in, in magic terms, you're like, aggro and the control, because you have a great early game, but then you also have a great late game, because you have this card that drops you three cards, and then just kills your opponent on the spot. Right. Um, in playtesting, I found that when the game tended to go longer, when both sides had crews, the deck was a lot more fair uh, and definitely has some weaknesses to it. So that's why I decided not to play it. But it turns out I ended up building a great choice. Uh, I know Alex Berenchini, he made top eight. Uh, yeah, third. With a similar list and just a few changes. And uh, funny, funnily enough, um, Jim Davis was also talking to me about the list. He ended up not being able to get the card, so he played Burn instead, but uh, it was pretty close. <laughs> right, right. 
But taking a step back, though, I was one something you just said uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. You said the reason why um, you didn't run the Blue Red Delvers because you were afraid more people were using Treasure Cruise. I would have expected the reason was because people were you know packing hate for Treasure Cruise either in the form of you know like rest in peace or you know more uh, you know more fair deck hate cards. Um, but you think you know the biggest problem for the Blue Red Delver list is other decks just packing Treasure Cruise to uh you know more effectively. Yeah, as you see, you saw um, in the top eight, I think Deathblade with three crews ended up beating Blue Red Delver. I actually I was, I was like slightly surprised at that because I felt like that was a great matchup. But you know when when decks are able to basically go one for one one for one you and then have like sort of a trump card like Stoneforge Mystic or something like that, then I think. I think it just becomes a lot tougher. Right. It's just, you know, they're keeping pace with you, and they're just a, a bit bigger than you are. We were talking about it on the last episode that, you know, we were expecting Rest in Peace and other, you know, Graveyard Hate cards to just see a whole lot more play just because of the popularity of Delve. You know, not even just with Treasure Cruise, but also with uh, Dig Through Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murderous kind of seeing a little bit of play and just, you know... As always, you know, Rest in Peace was already seeing a lot of play, you know, for as Tarmogoyf and Deathrite Shaman Hate. Uh, what, what do you think about that as far as, you know, direction of the meta in the future? Yeah, that's interesting. When I was um, I was doing well earlier, um, before I got my second loss, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was sitting next to a player who was playing Enchantress with main deck Rest in Peace Home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they were doing decently for, for a little bit at least. I think, you know, as far as the most potential goes, definitely, I think... The, you know, the old Miracles, Rest in Peace Energy Field, Helm deck, that might make a comeback. It's certainly possible. Um, so, it really does seem like kind of, you may have been ahead of the game a bit, but it definitely sees, seems like, uh, you know, your prediction is, you know, coming to fruition. It, it really looks like the top 8, top 16 of SCG Worcester is really, you know, just a, a battle of the Treasure Cruise decks. You know, the only deck that top 8 that did not run Treasure Cruise is Elves, and that's a deck that already has an amazing card engine with uh, Glimpse of Nature, so they don't really need the Treasure Cruise to keep up with it. There were actually two Elves decks in the top eight. Yeah, Elves is, I think Elves is just probably the best combo deck in the format right now. Um, you know, what was it, uh, SCG Indianapolis a couple weeks ago where the, you know, one through four were all Elves decks. Okay, let me preface. I am a donkey. I, I love Legacy, I love to play Legacy, and I love the format. I'm, I'm actually curious how you prepare for, like, an SCG event. A lot of the things that I always, that I'm under the impression of is that when, if you come to a large tournament like that in the Northeast, you expect a lot of combo. I don't know if that's true or false. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I actually sort of almost take the opposite view. Um, or rather, I just don't take local metagames into consideration. Okay. Uh, and I, I don't really know the statistics behind, like, if, if you know, local metagames act are actually prevalent. So I might be wrong on that, but usually, you know, what I do, so I write these articles for Channel Fireball, mm-hmm. um, so I'm already basically keeping track of the macro legacy metagame as a whole, right. and I, I tend to use that as a baseline for what I think is going to be good, and then basically, you know, I had a, a really strong crowd of people that I used to test with uh, back in D.C., and then, you know, I would basically jam some of these best decks against each other, okay. and then we would come out with a couple of consensus decks that were really strong, and I would usually play one of those. So one of the other things I was noticing... Now, Bob, you write a lot of these metagame analyses, and, and it looks like the last June of this year was the last time you had written a legacy one? Yeah, it was a while ago. Um, that sounds about right. I think I'm going to come out with another one um, probably just after this weekend, after Eternal Weekend. Okay. Um, just at time for the GP, so yeah, stay tuned, I guess. Yeah, perfect. 
I noticed that uh, you break it down into, it looks like uh, Born of the Gods, Journey into Next, totals, percentages, and what's expected as far as aggro, control, and combo, and you kind of class them together. But I'm actually curious, did you study statistics? I definitely took a couple classes on probability and statistics. I wouldn't know, I don't know if I would say I studied it per se. Um, cool. So, I mean, what was the, the general interest like? Uh, I mean, you, you definitely seem like you're a numbers-orientated person, but do you just find that you get the most, you know, value out of just looking at the, the you know, quantitative rather than the qualitative? Would you rather look at the percentages rather than someone's opinion? Yeah, definitely. I think part of that is just, like, yeah, my background. Like, I was an econ and math major. Mm-hmm. Definitely like numbers okay. uh, over feelings, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Cold and heartless, just like the format. <laughs> Pretty much. Nice, nice. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people, you know, at home are, you know, kind of wondering, you know, what your, your process is. Is it just kind of just, you know, sitting down and crunching the numbers, going through the, the, you know, just pouring over them and, you know, counting cards? Or, you know, do you have a particular strategy that you go about in doing that? Yeah. Um, basically what I'm doing, um, I laid out the methodology in my last article. Uh, I'm just going on, you know, a couple different websites. Um, my favorite one is definitely mtgdex.net because I think it aggregates from a, a few different sites mm-hmm. and I just look at the tournaments where there were like nine rounds or more and then I look at the top five percent from those tournaments mm-hmm. and basically I just you know compile them in a spreadsheet and then you know it's not that different from the table that you see presented in the article right uh, I don't know I just it, it's weird but it's gonna sound weird but I just I, I enjoy doing this it brings me a little like some satisfaction to know that like Oh, these are the decks that have been performing well, and like, hopefully, the more I do this, the more statistically significant it will be. Right. Um, so it helps me actually get a good sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a solid footing. There's no, you know, mystery surrounding it. Like, you know, these are the facts. These are the hard numbers. So, you know, it's definitely I can see how that can be comforting. Just you know, exactly know knowing what's going on and not leaving anything up to chance. You know, it's the past, but you can definitely use that for the future. Exactly. So you mentioned that the future of the meta is going to shift towards, you know, the competition between the Treasure Cruise decks. So what do you see as coming out on top as far as the Treasure Cruise? You know, we, we had a really good showing of it at the SCG Worcester. There was the new Rug Delver uh, that, you know, dropped Nimble Mongoose for Young Pyromancer. There's the Esper Deathblade that's using the uh, Treasure Cruise is just, you know, an additional draw engine to just, you know, help power out those control cards. There's also the Grixis Delver, which is one that I was definitely interested in because it's very similar to a list I brewed up when Young Pyromancer first came out before Treasure Cruise ever came out, but I en- ended up shelving that just because with the introduction, introduction excuse me, of a true name nemesis, you know, one ones were really much of a vulnerability with all the sweepers going around. So what do you see as coming out on top out of all those? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I guess that's the big question for New Jersey and a little bit less for this weekend. Um, I think the decks with Treasure Cruise and Stoneforge Mystic uh, is one very good place to start. So like, I guess Deathblade and Blue White Red Delver, uh, which did not place, but uh, that was one of my losses to in the Swiss. I lost to uh, Blue White Red Delver. I think basically when you have a card that nets you extra cards, it's not very hard to get extra lands from that. And when you can hit five mana, Stoneforge Mystic just becomes much more powerful in conjunction with Batter Skull. Mm-hmm. So Blue White Red was definitely one deck I really strongly considered uh, for this weekend. Um, that being said, I just like I really enjoy playing with um, the bug cards and Deathrite Shaman and Abrupt Decay. So I ended up <laughs> right sticking there with that, that instead. 
right there with you. Yeah, I, I notice in the Esper Deathblade list at one, it actually looks like the card they chose to replace for Treasure Cruise was Chase. You know, I don't see any Jaces in their uh, in their list. I mean, there's one in the sideboard, but Esper Deathblade is usually a deck that runs you know three to four Jaces. I mean, I thought Treasure Cruise was going to push Ponder out of the format, but that doesn't look like that. Well, not out of the format, but just it was going to compete with Ponder for slots. But what do you see as you know, you know, what's going to fall out of off the wagon to make room for Treasure Cruise? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the deck, right? I think Jace makes sense because it doesn't actually fuel Cruise, and when you have Cruise, it's like it's already a way to get ahead on cards, so you don't necessarily need Jace as much. Yeah, it's like three um, Jace activations all at once. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not quite as good, but... <laughs> not you know. quite, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, so I feel like um, yeah, a lot of the, these decks are going to be cutting cards like Jace. Um, for Blue, White, Red, I know I trimmed down on Swords of Airs and Spell Pierces. Right. Um, basically, just like the, you know, the more conditional cards that aren't necessarily as good at fueling Treasure Cruise. Definitely. And speaking of that, actually, that reminded me, we were talking a little bit before SCG Worcester, um, you were kind of going over your mindset with the Blue-Red Delver deck and why the Monastery Swiss Spear was kind of a deck limitation uh, and why it kind of restricted your choices, you know, namely in the fact that you can't really run Stifle in decks like that. Yeah, no, I agree uh, completely, yeah. Uh, do you want to just kind of break it down for, for listeners, you know, kind of what, what the logic is behind that, why, you know, Monastery Swiss Spear and Stifle just don't go together? Sure. Well, uh, she'll always have a soft place in my heart as it, you know, won me my first trophy. Mm-hmm. But I even, I even call her, uh, Taylor Swiss Spear. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, like, as, as you said, uh, she does add a lot of deck design constraints. Um, she may, she's kind of awkward with cards, like you said, like Stifle and Spell Pierce that you're trying to play on your opponent's turn for the most part. Right. Uh, and she really just is not that impressive of a clock when you don't have cards in your hand and, like, cantrips to fuel her. And so I think like if Treasure Cruise had not been printed, I I don't I think she would be like barely fringe playable. Um, as it is, that blue red Delver deck it, within it, she's almost like a one mana Charmer boy. Oh, and yeah. for that, you're sacrificing the ability to play cards like uh, like Stifle, like Spell Pierce, and even to uh, to a certain extent like Wasteland. Right. So old blue red Delver decks were much more of you know tempo orientated. You know Stifle, Wasteland, Days. You know Lightning Bolt, Chain Lightning to close it out. But the new blue red Delver deck plays almost like strictly like a burn deck with blue for card draw. You know there there's very little of that you know control tempo orientated. You know choking your opponent on mana. It just literally kill them as quickly as possible. You don't care if they're making land draws because you're going to kill them before they can do anything with that. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I personally know how good uh, you know Taylor Swift Spear was because uh, <laughs> Blue Red uh, Delvers would actually knock me out of uh, SCG Worcester uh, when I had two of them swing in as six sevens. So wow, yeah, that it was just like probe into probe into probe into ponder into treasure cruise, and you know they they had two lands and you know just just destroying me. Yeah, that's crazy. I have a question for you, Bob. Uh, I'm looking, um, noticed your list, and I see you have Dark Blast on the sideboard with four copies of Treasure Cruise in the main deck. Mm-hmm. How much of an engine did Dark Blast make for Treasure Cruise? I'm wondering if you had, like, ex- experience with it throughout the day that you could enlighten me on. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was definitely one of the reasons that, I, that, uh, made me, in, uh, add Dark Blast on the sideboard 
you know, it's mainly for the matchups. Um, I think it's good against elves, death and taxes, and infect. Sure. Uh, which are decks that are seeing a lot more play now. It's also good against young pyromancer and you know unflipped delvers. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Did you get Did you get the chance to bring it in at all during the day? Um, I did, and it was pretty good. I I don't really bring it in against um like for example blue eyed red delver or rug because they're just like a limited number of targets. Yeah. No. It's definitely definitely synergizes with the rest of the deck. It is a little bit more narrow though than uh, Disfigure, which is basically Lightning Bolt. Right. Uh, right. In this format. So, so that's why I'm only running one, but it was certainly, I, I certainly like it, I think, over the third Golgari Charm. Yeah, Golgari Charm is really a card that I've gone back and forth in, uh, back and forth with in Delver, because, especially the Elves matchup, I just felt it doesn't do as much as you'd like it to do in it, uh, versus Elves and other decks. Um, and the black green actually restriction comes up more often than you would think. So I actually ended up replacing Golgari Charm with, uh, Marsh Casualties in my own list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of your sideboard though, actually, maybe you can, uh, help settle a debate that, uh, me and Adrian have been going on. Um, I'm more of a fan okay. of, uh, Pything Needle, but I see <laughs> you are running the Null Rod. Yes, I am. Um, I think they're both good. Uh, yeah, my blue red Delver list, I ran two needles and one rod. Um, and that was because uh, I thought Sneak and Show and Miracles were both difficult matchups mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where I would need a lot of good sideboard cards for. Um, so that's why I ran, ran Needle there. In Bug, those ne- those matchups are not, not as bad, so then I, I think I played a, a couple other slots for matchups that I felt like were worse. For example, I was playing Chill, uh, which was meant to be for Burn and Blue Red Delver. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Chill, uh, did that come in at all? Because I could see that doing a lot of work in that meta. Yeah, it's... I think it's actually, it's insane against Burn. Um, if you get out on turn two, I don't know how they can win. Right. Uh, and against, uh, against Blue Red Delver, it's also excellent. It makes their creatures very expensive, and it makes the Lightning Bolt cost three, which is like still a playable card, but it's by no means scary anymore. Right. I mean, well, it's also just because Blue Red Delver is just basically just Burn masquerading as a uh, blue deck. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's very heavily leaning towards the red, but yeah no I definitely see you know that I haven't seen a chill in play in a long time, so it's good to see that thing coming back. I just saw that at the at, I went to a Grampy trial last Thursday and the kid next to me had that on the board. I, I looked over and I was floored. I I went to the Grampy trial playing Tinfins. Awesome, good job. <laughs> I, I actually I actually took second. I'm, I'm actually, I've been curious since we were talking about your article earlier. What's most enjoyable for you, to play an aggro deck, a combo deck, a control deck, a hybrid, or what? Um, that's an interesting question. Actually, I, I was, um, basically, so I did well in GPDC of last year, and then since then I've basically been on a journey to play every single legacy deck. Okay. Um, so it's I actually have some perspective on this. So I think it depends, right? For local tournaments, I really like having fun and just doing, like, wacky things so at local tournaments I really enjoy maybe possibly my favorite deck might be to play Storm just because it just feels like a puzzle okay. uh, and it's very challenging to play and you can just do very cool things that you can't do really in any other format uh, almost so I, I really like Storm I would say it's one of my favorite decks to play um, but in terms of what I feel like I'm good at so I, I did play Miracles for a period I played Charlotte's for a period um, I think Jace decks are personally not my cup of tea and not my forte okay. I think Delver definitely is uh, is what I'm good at so I, I think I'm going to probably stick to that for larger events yeah See, I'm the opposite of both of you guys. I love me some Jace. Uh, if Jace is playable in the format, I will be playing Jace. Um, Jace is a shardless bug. Yeah, yeah, but I like, uh, I've been on a big Jace kick. I, you know, I took a bit break from Jace with, uh, the bug Delver for a long time. 
So I'm glad to finally get uh, getting back into it. Bob, I think you came over to me and you know, one of my matches, I think it was the second round, and I think I had a Liliana, a Jace, a Karn, and a Nether Void in play all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think I just like looked over my shoulder and asked if I put on a show for you. <laughs> yeah, go big or go home. Yeah, yeah. So I actually thought it was hilarious that I put together, you know, uh Bug Walkers, aka Nick Fit Blue, aka Soul Tie Walkers, whatever you want to call it, basically veteran explorer or Cabal Therapy, and I thought I was being so unique, and I log on to Channel Fireball the other day, and I see Caleb Derwald has posted a video of the deck of him going through a daily with it. One thing I was wondering, uh, Bob, is, you know, I've noticed the meta has really polarized. It's either these, like, hyper-aggressive Delver decks or these super-controlling, uh, you know, uh, control decks, you know, like Miracles and so on, with a couple, you know, combo decks sprinkled in. But, you know, where's all the mid-range gone? You know, I can't remember the last time I saw a Knight of the Reliquary in play or, you know, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there there were mid-range... Uh, mid-rangey decks before. Um, now the only thing I can really point to is probably Deathblade, um, and and John to a lesser extent, but yeah, I don't I, know how playable that deck is right now. Yeah, and even yeah, I don't think John's that playable. Um, it's just it's just slower than the rest of the decks, and just especially now that Treasure Cruise got introduced, it's just you know one more reason to play blue. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Yeah, I mean, I almost think so. I drew a lot of ire uh, when I top eight at SCG a little while ago. When they did the little interview thing, they asked me, you know, if you could ban any card in Legacy, what would it be? And I said Delver because <laughs> Delver is the most. If you think about it, Delver is the most warped meta warping card out there right now. Like, just look at the top eight of the last SCG. Uh, we have Esper Des- Deathblade, okay. Elves, okay. Blue Red Delver, hmm. Uh, Teamer, aka Rug Delver, okay. Grixis Delver, uh, what? And another Blue Red Delver. So, half the top eight is playing Delver, and it's four different decks all playing Delver. That kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, standard a little while ago when, you know, Thragtusk was, uh, dominating, and it didn't matter what colors you were playing, you were splashing green for Thragtusk. Mm. I feel anytime a card is as ubiquitous as Delver is in Legacy, it definitely has to be considered for banning. Mm-hmm. I could I could agree with that. Uh, I think there are a few cards that I would have over Delver, but I would have no problem seeing that card go, even though I guess it would be like the archetype that I feel the most comfortable with. But yeah, like you said, it's really distorting the color pie, and like it just it just it's not a, it's not what you know Richard Garfield had in mind when he came up with blue. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> that that for one definitely. But. Even if Delver was in another color, it's just that, you know, it, it's, it's almost like it's taking the fun and, you know, innovation out of deck building, because no matter what, you just start, alright, I have four Delver, and then what else do I do with it? You know, it's, you know, there's no searching for, you know, an alternative win condition, or, you know, a creature that might do the job better, it's just, yep, that is the definitive best creature to play in that spot, to the point where it doesn't matter what other colors you pair with it. See, you guys, you guys make interesting points. I hadn't, I hadn't, somebody mentions banning something in Legacy, my first thought is top. Just like, I'm so <laughs> sick of seeing the Miracles deck, and it actually, it's kind of shown me why it's banned in Modern. But the, Delver itself, playing against Delver, and maybe it's because I try to play fast combo decks anyway, I don't really worry about Delver because I'm on an eight turn clock to get my combo off. You know, it's just, it's, it's fighting the, the stifles on my fetch lands, the wastelands, the, the counterspell war. Um, that ends up being the struggle for me. 
So maybe I take the Delver for granted because I don't realize it's taken eight turns so that they just killed me and said no to everything I do. Well, there are definitely different reasons why cards are get banned. You know, there's a few key categories. There's the, you know, the broken category, why, you know, like Necroponents and Yogg-Will are, are banned hmm. just because they're just, they're so broken that if they were legal, <laughs> there's no reason to play anything else but that. Hey, I'll play Gorio's Vengeance with Gristlebrand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's why people call for Grizzlebrand. You know, beep, like Grizzlebrand probably had the most belly aching about uh, being banned of so, you know any card in recent memory. Then there's also you know the functionality banning as far as top goes, where it's just like the it's not broken, it doesn't do stupid things, it's not oppressive, but it just it takes so long and it's so annoying that people just would rather see it go than have to sit through another game with top. Mm. Where I think Delver falls in is just the oppressiveness. It's not broken, and it, you know, it plays fine, it plays quickly, it's just... It's the number of appearances everywhere. in the top, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, you'll play a tournament, you'll play a tournament with eight rounds, and four of those rounds, you're going to be versing a Delver. So you better have a plan to deal with Delver. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what are the other things that, that um, in reading your, and, you know, I don't want to get too much into modern, but um, you made a very interesting case in your article, Bob, about... Modern seems to be more of a sideboard format, um, you know, as far as Stony Silence for Affinity and um, Graph Diggers Cage for Pod type of stuff, where Legacy isn't based on that sideboard. It's, it's a lot of it's based on there is more interaction on game one. Um, you know, I'm I'm not a huge Modern fan. Um, I'll I've played it a few times and I'm sure I'll play it a few more times. But it does seem like if I go to if I go to a tournament to play modern, I can expect half the time I'm going to play affinity, half the time I'm going to play pod. Or now it'll probably be a third of the time affinity, a third of the time pod, and a third of the time just guy ascendancy. I'm not really sure. I haven't been to a modern tournament since that card was printed. But I'm actually a little curious on where do you see any bleed from modern to legacy? Uh, uh, you know, as far as like, um, do you think there's things that come out of modern that end up going towards legacy? I, I'm curious if you see any. Synergies between the two formats. Yeah, um, I mean they're they're definitely they're both sort of eternal formats. Um, I think you know one of the primary differences between modern and legacy. I mean it's going to sound dumb, but basically it's force of will, wasteland to a lesser <laughs> lesser extent. But for, you know force of will is very very prevalent in legacy, and that that makes it so that a lot a lot of matchups are a lot more close. Um, and legacy there are a lot of skewed matchups too. Like modern has the most skewed matchups because because there's no force of will. Um, but then the matchups like that don't involve force of will can be very skewed too. Like for example, if you think of like elves and death and taxes, that's very skewed towards elves. But then elves versus reanimator, that's very skewed towards reanimator because elves doesn't run force of will. So um, I think I think that's one of the main reasons why modern is such a sideboard oriented format. Right. I always look at modern. The reason why I didn't like modern was because I felt the format was all the dumb combo decks that just couldn't cut it in legacy. But because there's no force of will, they they have free reign in modern. Okay, like Splinter Twin and stuff. Yeah, it's like all these it's all these cards that are like cool and people always wanted to on the kitchen table, and you know they're they're beating their friends' faces in with it. But as soon as they take it to a competitive legacy tournament, they just get crushed because they pour all these resources into doing this like crazy complex combo, and then their opponent just goes force of will. There definitely is bleed over though, like you mentioned, because. Even from standard, you know, that's where uh, Esper Stoneblade came from. That was a standard deck. It's just, I feel if there is going to be bleed over, it's going to be a fair deck compared to a combo deck. You know, we've kind of already figured out the best combos in Legacy, other than new cards being printed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't think we're really going to just one day discover a completely busted, broken combo that, you know, somehow fell through the cracks for the last 20 years. I don't know, though, but because I was actually going to think of an analog, which would be, in fact, that almost fell through the cracks, and then Tom Ross really brought it to the forefront. I think I'm almost certain he played it a lot more in modern first before, you know, just testing things out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a fair point. Yeah, I kind of, I think the reason why I kind of forget about that is, on the surface, in fact, the same way elves is they both look like fair decks at first glance. <laughs> and you see them play, and you realize in no way, shape, and form is this a fair deck. Sure. <laughs> Did you, out of curiosity, Bob, did you get did you get the chance to play against Nick Malatesta in SCG Worcester? Uh, I know who he is. I, I didn't play him there. Okay, all right. Every time I play his elf deck, I am so afraid. Because it's not, that's like, I've played elf decks that do grave shot and stuff, and that's not what his is. I, I've never seen Jiraga War Colors come out so big. Yeah, Nick Nick is a very good player. He's top eighted at quite a few SCG opens. Um, it's actually funny, uh, the other elves player uh, in it, uh, Jonathan uh, Marowski, uh, Nick actually lent him the elves. Deck. <laughs> Nick, is, Nick is so into elves, he has two fully built legacy elves decks. Okay. <laughs> so That's yeah, I, yep. Actually, I'm sorry. It might it might actually have been the 14th player, Jonathan Jolin. I do know one of the other elves decks in the top uh, 16 was Nick's other elves decks. Mm. But yeah, if Nick isn't the best, he's definitely one of the best elves player uh, you know on the planet. Yeah, I, uh, I had a mirror match with him one day with elves. It wasn't like my elf deck wasn't uh, built the same way his was, but it, I, I played elves one uh, Sunday at the local LGS and I had mirror matches back to back and a headache when I was done. <laughs> yep, that's the way things. Yeah, elves. Elves is definitely a very, very good combo deck. The, and the reason why I think it's with the best combo deck is even if it doesn't combo, it can just play that fair game. Okay. Like, I've lost many a game to just being beaten down in the face with the Nettle Sentinel when I wasn't able to stabilize. Agreed. I, I also think it's probably the best combo deck against, like, the Force of Will decks, like, or I guess more specifically against Delver, I think. Right, yeah, definitely. It's it's has the disadvantage in the other combo decks just because they can combo off quicker, but it definitely has the advantage versus fair decks that are packing counter magic because it's just so redundant. You know, every copy in the uh, every card in the deck is interchangeable for almost any other copy. Hmm. You know, if they're not going off with uh, Nettle Sentinel and uh, Heritage Druid, they're going off with like Query and Ranger. Firewood uh, Symbiote, Elvish yeah, Visionary to get to the glimpse of nature. Uh, I I. <laughs> Despise playing Bug Delver versus Elves just because of the Deathrite Shaman Wars. I'll actually board out Deathrite Shaman versus Elves because you are not going to win that. Because they're effectively running, you know, 12 copies of Deathrite Shaman in the deck with all their untap effects. Mm. Now, I used to actually, when I was playing Shardless Bug, I ended up in a lot of bug mirrors, and I would side out my Deathrite Shamans and side in Pything Needles because I knew that they would keep theirs in. That's an interesting strategy. I never really thought about uh, that. I just always try and you know jam it and deal with theirs first. But I could definitely see the merits of that. I'd let them keep their death rate shaman and land them and fight my goifs. I'm not. I'm not a professional. Obviously, I I am a in, in very big enthusiast. Is all. I think the danger with that is that strategy only works if you have a, a slightly lower curve than them, because it, with I feel with Charlotte's bug, you're really focusing on your three drops. Whereas other bug decks are going to be focusing on their two drops. So if you are a 
you know, a Bug Delver deck siding out your Deathrite Shamans against a Shardless Bug, I could see that working, just because you can, uh, you can operate on two mana more effectively than they can, whereas they really want to get to that third mana. Sure, I could see that. So, Bob, so you switched it up, you know, you, you were, you know, you're the one actually who got me on Bug Delver in the first place back at GPDC, then you went to Blue Red Delver, and then now you're back to, to Bug Delver, you know, where do you see yourself going in, you know, the next week? Do you, do you have an idea of what you're gonna play for the GP? Are you packing tin fins? <laughs> um, <laughs> if I play, sadly, if I play a deck of Grizzle Friend in it, it would probably be Sneak and Show. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think I definitely want to play a Delver deck for the GP just because I've had the most success with it. It's something I feel very comfortable with. As far as which one, um, I like Bug and I like Blue, White, Red a lot. So I think it's going to depend a lot on the metagame. If Miracles becomes a little bit less prevalent, I really like Blue or Red. Um, but if it stays popular, I, I think Bug is the way to go. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry, did you say Blue, White, Red? As in, you know, the Stone, Stoneforge Mystic? Because I'm surprised yeah. you actually didn't see any of those at uh, SCG Worcester. Yeah. Yeah, I can, because, I mean, like you mentioned before, you know, having that Stoneforge definitely puts you over the top of the other ones, and, you know, you're still able to pack Treasure Cruise. So, yeah, I can definitely see that being uh, very good. Um, if you could do SCG Worcester all over again, uh, you know, what deck would you choose? Uh, I think both of my losses were extremely close. I think my opponents probably just outdrew me by that little margin, so I think I would probably run it back again. Uh, not to say that I play perfectly. You know, you... Uh, Adrian, you keep joking about you know not being professional. I'm no professional either. I made I made so many mistakes. Uh, the tournament that I won, I made so many mistakes back in Worcester. Um, I think really what it comes down to is being just the least bad Magic player. <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> or or the guy with the luckiest draws, or the guy with the worst draws. Sure. Just, Adrian, just wait until you get some feature matches too, because when you're at home the next day and you're watching the replay and just watching yourself play, you're just thinking to yourself like, "Oh, what the? What was I thinking? Think, oh, I hope I don't bomb this play that I've just <laughs> had nightmares about back to back to back." Yep. No, when I when I was versing uh, Dave Shields in the semifinals, uh, I I pinpointed you know the exact minute and second where I lost the game. Oh. I could see, I could literally see it. You know, I, I um, had a Delver in play, and I uh, brainstormed and put a Abrupt Decay on top, and I ended up fetching because I wanted to get a Deathrite Shaman in play, and then I never flipped the Delver. And if I had flipped the Delver and got that Abrupt Decay, he was playing uh, Death and Taxes at the time. I would have easily won the game and just never flipped the Delver and lost me the game, and that <laughs> that minute and that second can has haunted me. Mm. What do you think, Bob? I mean, at the end of the day, what is the most important factor when choosing a deck? Oh, I mean, everybody tells you this, but it's uh, familiarity. Exactly. Yeah. Just play what you know. And, yeah, and, and and I need to switch what I know because I gotta start. To, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, sometimes you, yeah, sometimes you gotta switch what you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. I mean, I think for now, Tin Fins is my is my combo deck of choice. You know, I know Bob. You're apparently a fan of um, Treasure Cruise and, and the Delve cards, and I'm I'm struggling to see them. Maybe the Bug Delver deck just does a better job at filling the graveyard where where it gains that value, and that's I think why why Dark Blast intrigued me so much. Right. Yeah. Speaking of that, just because we see all these fair decks just breaking Treasure Cruise wide open. When I first saw Treasure Cruise, I thought the deck it was going to go into was Sneak and Show. Uh, you know, I just thought that it was going to go into these combo decks that were packing 12 cantrips, and we haven't really seen that, though, have we? Uh, not yet. Um, I think 
there might be, you know, some combo deck out there that can really utilize, um, I think Big Through Time would be the better spell. Right, um, right. But I found that it's, it's just kind of hard to, because you don't run Wasteland, um, and you don't run, like, removal spells, it's a little bit harder to fill up your graveyard um, as compared to, like, Blue Red Delver, where it's like, oh, you have a Bolt? Well, that can go into your graveyard if you want to hit them for three. Um, so I think the Delve card, they, they haven't realized their full potential in combo decks yet, certainly. Do you think it's just a little bit, you know, more difficult so people are tr- still, you know, f- feeling out the waters, whereas it just won't slot perfectly into the fair decks? Yeah, I think Treasure Cruise slots pretty well in a variety of different decks. I mean, all they had to do is play cantrips. Um, mm. I think... Dig through time and combo definitely had a lot of potential. I think um, I was testing an Omnitel list that had um, basically replaced Enter the Infinite with Dig Through Time, and then the Killicon was uh, Omniscient Uh hmm. And you could always Cunning Wish for answers to whatever they had stopping your Emrakul, so that was never really an issue. And when you had so many Dig Through Times, you would never miss. So that was, that was one deck I was thinking about running. Um, but it just felt a little bit clunky, and I, did, I just didn't enjoy playing it as much as I enjoyed Delver. Right, right. Um, I actually like it in the uh, my Nick Fit deck just because sometimes you just hard cast it. You know, you have enough mana that you just you know you, you cast it for you know four or five or six. Uh, I noticed a lot of the Miracles decks doing that too. Late game Treasure Cruise, they could have an empty graveyard and they would still just be casting it for full value and you know still getting ahead and winning the game because of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it also, you know, not even in these, you know, fair decks that are packing, you know, filling up the graveyard lightning quick. Uh, it's also just in these decks that consistently make their land drops. It's the perfect, to- it's the perfect top deck, you know, regardless of the deck you're playing. I do notice a spicy one of in your list, though. I'm taking a look at uh, your uh, list from SCG Worcester. Want to want to tell our listeners about that, Bob? Oh sure, the Mirror Charm was the MVP of my deck. <laughs> really? Okay, yeah, go on. Oh, you think I'm joking? I'm not. No, no I, I know you're serious. I'm just still surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, so that's a card a lot of people laugh at. No, um, I think I'm not. Rich Shea was the first person I, I saw play in Bug Delver, mm-hmm. and I was very skeptical at the time. But I think um, now is the time to be jamming those Demir Charms. I would actually play a second. Yeah, Bob, what's, um, so you said it was, it was the MVP. Do you have any stories about using Demir Charm? Like, where did it come in and sure. so clutch? Uh, let's see. Well, there, there's only a couple instances. In the very first round, um, I faced a Miracle's opponent. I resolved the Null Rod, and then he had the top out. And in response, he he um, spun the top, and then he flipped it. And then a couple cards down was in treat, and Demir Charm managed to snag that. Otherwise, I'd have lost for sure. Oh, oh wow. Very cool. Yeah, so, so yeah, I snagged an in treat. Um, even spicier play, I was against Show and Tell. I have the nut draw. Like, literally, my hand... Um, is Force Force, Blue Card, Blue Card, Demir Charm. <laughs> uh, and I have a Delver out. Uh, he goes, he goes turn two, uh, Boseju. And I'm like, oh, I can actually just lose now. Um, oh, no. So I end up turning Demir Charm and find Wasteland and get him. Oh, you got, okay, out of your own deck, yeah. Oh, yeah, cause you can, you can target oh. himself with the top three. It's, it's, it's. Oh, yeah. And the other two go into your graveyard, which triggers your treasure cruise. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I can see that. That's, that's a, that's a use of it I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, I just think the card is very versatile. I think it's probably, you know, like the third or fourth best card against every single deck. And, you know, personally, I like playing for consistency more than power, and so I'm pretty happy to play that card. It, was the cost uh, ever prohibitive for you? Like, were you ever in situations where you just couldn't cast it? Um, not really. 
I think um, because I play four one-mana removal spells in the sideboard, too, in those matchups where I really, when you when, when you play it as a counter spell for two, that's usually not too big of a deal. Um, but when you play it for a removal spell for two, sometimes the tempo is not enough. Right. Um, but that's why I have four one-mana one removal spells in the sideboard. Right, yeah, I can definitely see that. I actually wanted to ask you a question uh, just about your decision-making, because I was watching a couple of your games, and, you know, I, I play the same deck as you, so I was just putting myself in your shoes and, you know, deciding, you know, what would I do in this situation? And I noticed that you would jam Tarmogoyf uh, much more frequently than I would. Maybe that's just my tendency as a, uh, you know, a Jace player and wanting to, you know, stabilize before winning. Uh, you know, I would always, you know, leave Abrupt Decay up. Uh, you know, if I had a Demir Charm, I would, I would leave Demir Charm up if the situation called for it. But I saw you were just, you know, like, no fear, just, you know, jamming Tarmogoyf and seeing what happens. Um, is, is that just kind of your play style, or do, do you have, you know, a logic stream as far as that goes? Um, so you're talking about my match against Merfolk, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I would, yeah, like, like I said earlier, I definitely think Delver is my strong suit, so I definitely have a much more aggressive tendency in general. Um, in that particular matchup especially, though, I, I do think that you are the aggro player. If you let the Merfolk player survive for too long, they'll just uh, amass too many lords mm-hmm. uh, and then run you over, basically. So, I, you know, in that matchup, basically the plan is, like, play a big creature and then kill all of their stuff and tempo them out. Okay. Really? So, I, yeah, that's a... That's a good point of view, because I come at Merfolk the other way, whereas when I see a Vile on two, I'm very, very scared of them just Viling in a Lord for lethal or something like that, so I'll, that's why I'll hold the Abrupt Decay up, but you you just go for the racing plan? You just, you know, try and kill them before they kill you? Um, yeah, it really depends on the composition of your hand a lot. Like, I suppose if you have, like, almost all removal spells, then you, you have to play the control role. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it really depends. Part of being a good Magic player is just identifying what your role is in every situation, and that's what makes Magic so hard. Exactly, yeah. I um, I made a huge punt at uh, SCG Worcester, where I was versing Elves, and uh, as far as, you know, knowing the role it is, is also just knowing time frames. I thought I had one more turn left before Elf, the Elves player was going to be able to go off, so I had three mana up, and I had a Pernicious Deed and an Ensnaring Bridge. And I was deciding what to drop the Pernicious Deed so it could be active and, you know, pop, wipe his board the next turn, or the Ensnaring Bridge and keeping him from winning that turn. And I incorrectly thought that I had one more turn to go, so I dropped the Pernicious Deed in the hopes of popping it the next turn. And he ended up uh, double glimpse of naturing and just, you know, oh. killing me on the spot. Oh. So, yeah, I definitely hear that. It's it's definitely about, you know, knowing what role you are and, you know, correctly identifying, you know, what it is your opponent can do and what they can't do. Mm-hmm. Now, Bob, what are the what are the decks, what matches would you bring Spell Pierce in against? In general, I'm not really a fan of Spell Pierce. It forces you to, like, leave mana up when I'd rather be doing something proactive to, like, disrupt or kill them. Because mm-hmm. there are times when you leave up Spell Pierce and it just doesn't do anything. Right. Um, so, so that's why I only run two copies. Basically, I bring it in, um, you know, against matchups where it's really necessary. So, like fast, fast combo decks, okay. elves, miracles, yeah. Elves. Okay. You, you do bring it in against miracles. Just, I've gone so back and forth on that just because the conditional counter spells for me, there's so many times where they, they play around it so easily just because they, they consistently make their, uh, land drops. 
I completely agree. Um, I'm run- I was running Stifle, though, so it was a little better. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that. Very cool. Um, did we want to kind of touch on kind of the controversy that took place around us while we were battling Legacy? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so just to quickly recap for the listeners, if you haven't heard about it, uh, there was a player. Uh, let me see if I can. Do you guys happen to know his name offhand? Yeah. Uh, I believe it was Trevor Humphreys. Yeah, yep, Trevor Humphreys. That's what it was. And he got caught cheating uh, on camera, basically uh, stacking his opponent's deck, making them take force mulligans. And the way he would do that is he would, uh, when he was shuffling his opponent's deck, he would peek at the bottom card. And every time he saw it was a non-land card, he would kind of use a, you know, clever, uh, you know, thumbing motion to thumb that card to the top of the deck. And then when he was shuffling the deck, he would kind of separate the top ten cards that they never got shuffled in with the rest of the deck. And so he just did that a couple of times till his opponent had, you know, seven non-land cards on top. His opponent draws the cards. See, there's no land, takes a mulligan. He gets to shuffle their deck again because, you know, that's the way the rules work. And he would just do that over and over again, uh, making them mull down to four. And then if your opponent mulls to four every game, you're pretty likely going to win. Now, that's, you know, as, as somebody who... Just out of curiosity, Bob, how long have you been playing? Um, so I guess my, uh, uh I, I guess I would say I started playing seriously, um, in 2011. Okay, so about three years or so, really? Oh, that's when you started playing, like, seriously and competitively? Yeah, exactly. Like, I've been playing Magic for a lot longer, but I didn't get a DCI number until 2011. Well, so, so <laughs> I think that's when I got mine, which means, uh, I haven't done much in three years. Um, the reason I ask is when I return to the game, I, I love the idea of playing competitive and stuff, and then you have like, well, let me build my deck and let, let me go through the strategy and try to figure out how to play this deck, and suddenly it gets to a point where I have to watch my opponent to make sure they're not drawing four on a brainstorm also. You know, and like it, it's it's a throw off from playing competitive. I think um, it it was for me, and it's still it's still it's probably still why I gravitate towards combo decks because hopefully I'll just kill them faster than they draw four cards. I guess I don't know, or like, <laughs> and, and then but then you have like the shuffling issue, or um, you know sometimes I'm playing against somebody I don't really even want to sit at the same table with them. You know, it, and and it's yeah, it's un- definitely those people with the reputation. Yeah, but this I mean. I'm lucky most of the times I, I get to sit down and play with really phenomenal, I mean, good, great players anyway, but also really good people, you know. And, and it, that's, I think, that's what attracts me to the game. As much as, like, you know, where, Bob, you do a lot of research before you go into, I mean, it looks like you do a lot of research before you go into an SCG event, before you go to a Grand Prix. You, you spend the hours and do a whole lot of homework. Um, you know, to get into a position where you, how, how much, how much do you feel you need to pay attention um, to those little nuances of what your opponent is doing while you're in the game? Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I first started playing competitively, I was um, I was like a lot more, I guess, scared or serious might be the right word mm-hmm. um, of you know opponents cheating and pulling these shenanigans. But you know, as I've just met more and more people, I I absolutely love this legacy community, um, and you'll notice that. I mean, I'm not saying that Legacy doesn't really have cheaters. I'm sure they're out there. But I think as a whole, we're we're much more mature. Like, we're not really trying to get on the Pro Tour and win, like, a $40,000 check. We're more just, like, doing a hobby that we enjoy. And, you know, if we like winning, we also like winning. Like, that's just part of it. But it's not really the be-all and end-all, usually, for Legacy players. So I, I think I've actually relaxed a little bit. Um, 
you know, since I first started playing in terms of, you know, scouting my opponents and making sure they're not, like, drawing extra cards or anything like that. Truth. Truth. Right. I, I don't think I've ever in, you know, I've been playing, uh, I got, I was in the game and then got out and then I got back in around New Phyrexia and I don't think I've ever had, I mean, maybe they were just really good and I never noticed, but I've, I don't think I've ever had an opponent cheat against me in all that time. Well, like, I do, like, local metagame stuff where I, there's, there's a story I go to that would draft, and a, a lot of times I notice once the prize support gets to a certain level, people will start to do questionable things, you know? And, like, there's a, this place I used to, I, I would draft at once in a while. I think first place would get a box, and it seemed like every week the same kid had two pack rats that he drafted. And I'm like, this, this, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, yeah. That that is a good point though. I never really thought about it that way. That the the prize pool and kind of just the the levels of play uh, compared to the standard and legacy uh, really do affect just kind of levels of cheaters. Sure. That's not to say there aren't cheaters because you know we all know there are those just the habitual cheaters. They don't they're not even cheating to win. They're cheating because <laughs> they like they get like a thrill off of doing yeah, it or yep, you know, it's like compulsive, whatever it is. Like compulsive shoplifters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you see those you know celebrities with multi million dollar mansions and they're getting caught shoplifting. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, also just, I mean, look at this guy. It's like, you know, he thought he was that good that he could get away with it on camera. Like, I'm sure he got a huge rush off of that, that he was like, I'm cheating and no one can catch me. And then he got he got caught. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, even further than that, uh, he actually had already split, so they weren't even playing for, for money anymore. They were just playing for glory. Oh, uh, man, dude. yeah. I, now, I, I yeah. haven't seen the video, but of course, there's, there's always discussions. And even as far as legacy goes, what I did want to mention... I, here, here's a question just to go in a completely different direction maybe would be who is your favorite pro like you now my the the reason I share this is uh, we were at SCG Providence and um, I was playing the Omni Show deck and I was trying to get the last minute resleeve my deck to make sure all my sleeves are good and everything's nice because I don't want to get any warning or anything like that sitting next to me is Reed Duke they call they call round one pairings and I'm trying to sleeve up my deck quick and he looks over at me and he's like do you need some help with that like it was like so so and I'm and I'm thinking like oh if I play him round one I'm gonna feel so bad like it's just so on the show because it's not like yeah I, I hear Reduke's like one of the nicest guys in the community he, that's what that's what I hear but like just that you know he had to go look at his pairings to see who he was playing but he was more willing to like help me sleeve up and and. You know, it felt like when when everybody knocks your books out of your hands in high school, and, and this one guy's like, "Oh yeah, let me help you get those." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Reed, Reed's great. Uh, he actually went to my college. Oh, really? Yeah, Reed's great. Um, I would say, as far as my favorite pro goes, um, I would probably have to be LSV. Uh, I actually haven't met LSV, and I've met Reed, so I, I feel a little, a little bit guilty saying this. But <laughs> I just like love watching LSV commentate, and like I watch, you know, his. Uh, his matches that he puts on Channel Fireball, they're just hilarious. Yeah, uh, LSV is actually my favorite too, just because when I got back into the format, I was, when I was first playing Magic back in, you know, Onslaught Block, I was never very far into it. I definitely didn't look at any videos. I don't even think there were really many videos back then. It was just basically articles. But when I came back to it, my favorite series was the, uh, top eight Magic series Channel Fireball did. And like the trio of, uh, LSV, uh, Paul Vitor, Dominic Rosa, and, uh, uh, TSG was just, you know, such an awesome thing. It really drew me into the format to the point where I don't even know if I would be into magic as, as far in as I am today if it wasn't for those video series that really, you know, sparked my interest on that. So, uh, I definitely agree with you on that, Bob. Bob, how old are you anyway? 
I'm 23. Oh, okay. All right. So when I like I I played years ago and when I was you know it was fourth edition, third edition, and there was the Lord of the Pit and there was um, Force of Nature. Like those were the two awesome creatures. <laughs> and, and you know now 20 years later, for me, Lord of the Pit's definitely been replaced by Grizzlebrand. Um, but like, what's what's your iconic? Like when I was a little kid and I first saw this card, I just I couldn't let this game go. What what, what card was that for you? Trying to think. Uh, oh, let's see. I, yeah, definitely uh, Masticore. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Actually, I had a yeah, I had a foil Masticore that I used to beat up my friends. <laughs> so I would win like every single time that I had like turn four Masticore. It was just it was awesome because casual is really pretty much like limited, and Masticore is such a busted card in limited. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I actually had this uh, conversation earlier today because I distinctly remember the first ever magic card I ever saw. It was in, uh, you know, homeroom, and I think I think it was like eighth grade. And I walk over, and my friends are, you know, playing this card game in the corner, and I just hear them say uh, "wild mongrel," and then my other friend go, "Okay, I'm going to counterspell that," and that was my first ever exposure to magic. So, you know, counterspell and wild mongrel definitely have a place in my heart, but. My first ever favorite card was a uh, Goblin Sharpshooter. Uh, you know, I put together a Goblin deck because I started writing Onslaught Block had just come out, and I just loved Goblin Sharpshooter and the, you know, all these little guys that you know you throw at him and when they die he untaps and it, it always confused me looking back because I was never a red mage. I've always been a blue mage, but thinking back is what drew me to that was just that you know you're breaking this card. It's an engine. It's not you know what it is on the surface. This you know you know, sharpshooter pinging people, it's an engine that you're putting the pieces together. Yeah, Top eight pairings have been posted. Before we kind of wrap things up, Bob, did you have any uh, scumbag stories? Or uh, we don't like to call them shout-out here. We <laughs> like to call them uh, uh, anyone you'd like to scoop into top eight tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. My sister actually just texted me, um, uh, and apparently she won her very first pong game. So I guess oh. her. <laughs> very nice <laughs> pong. As in, you're not talking about the '80s video game. Oh no, I'm talking about like the drinking. Oh game. really? Just, so your sister's <laughs> out playing beer pong, and she and is this your oldest sister or your youngest sister? No, she's she's a freshman in college. Okay, so this is your younger yeah, sister. Yeah, oh, that sounds scary. Oh, college pong on a Wednesday night. Call my older brother and tell him about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, very cool. Uh, well, yeah. Anything else before we go, Bob? Uh, you know, can is there a way people can find you? Are you on the Twitterverse? Uh, you know. Yeah, actually, I've uh, I've just started um, basically like uh, a couple weeks ago getting. Uh, more into Twitter, uh, you can find me at, uh, I guess it's Silly Azen Foo, uh, S-I-L-Y-A-Z-N-F-O-O. Uh, yeah, if you add me and tweet at me, I'll, I'll do my best to reply. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on that. Yeah, I didn't think you were on there, but yeah, uh, Twitter, for those listening at home, if you don't have a Twitter and you like magic, get Twitter. The, the community is really active on Twitter. Um, you know, no matter what format you like, you know, stand, I don't play standard, but I love following, uh, Saito, the Japanese player, because every time a new format comes out, he'll post like 15 decks all in picture form on there for people. So definitely get on Twitter, people at home. So Jerry, is there anybody you'd like to scoop into top eight? 
Scoop in the top eight. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna scoop in the top eight, uh, my buddy Josh Shisio, because I've been borrowing his, uh, creeping tar pits <laughs> for the last month, and I keep saying I'm gonna give them back, and then there keeps being another tournament that I need to use them for. So, <laughs> thanks for the extended loan, Josh. I'll get those to you soon. <laughs> you know, I wanna, I wanna scoop in the top eight, uh, Jay Richardson. Um, so, Bob, you're not aware of this, but, so this show is, we're on episode five now. Um, this is gonna be, I'm gonna do my best to get this hosted up on MTG Cast. But we've also been distributing this show by email once it's edited. And that started because of Jay. Uh, I think he was one of the first that kinda asked for it to be sent to email like that. Yeah, it was before it was even a uh, before it was even an email list. You're just like, hey, send me an email. Look back. Yeah, cast, yeah. Before so. it was even offered. So I, you know, I, I did create a Facebook public group that people could join, and they could just send an email to uh, leavingalegacymtg at gmail dot com. And I have a distribution list that as soon as I'm done editing it, I just send it out. And uh, so, really, thanks to, thanks to Jay and thanks to Stephen Stephen mm-hmm. Doubtright for listening to. Yep. Oh, and uh, also a shout out to Bob for not a uh, shout out. Our... Not a shout. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I broke our own rule. Broke our own rule. <laughs> I like Jerry scoop... picked off. I'm replacing. <laughs> and I lost my stats. <laughs> Scooping Bob for coming on the show tonight. Thanks, definitely, Bob. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was great talking with you, Bob. Yeah, no problem. Uh, hit me up uh, another time. Maybe, maybe if I can win another tournament, uh, I can come back. Oh, you, you can come back yeah. on anyway. I don't win tournaments. <laughs> and, and and you at least have another follower on Twitter. And uh yeah, we call Dibs Bob if you win uh GP New Jersey, uh we get we get first interview rights. How's that? <laughs> okay. I'll take that. And I'm I'm gonna be looking for your next leg- uh, legacy metagame analysis. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, listeners at home, take a look at uh Channel Fireball, look for uh Bob's articles. If you haven't read the uh back issues, you know, even though they're a lot about a date, it's it's kinda cool to go back and see where the metagame was and you know how it evolved from there. So, you know, definitely give them a check out. Uh cool. Uh, it was good talking to you guys. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. And uh listeners at home, I'll uh, see you next week. Um The tournament is over and the store is closing. Feel free to see us during normal business hours by emailing the show at leavingalegacymtg at gmail.com. You can also find the host on Twitter with Adrian at Mathema Trickster and Jerry at JMEE3RD. You can also join the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group to stay connected. Also, I feel like if you show up with Tintin, uh, you're already a winner, so.